New Horizon has been serving the church in Northern Ireland since 1989, and we're delighted to bring you this talk today. We trust you will be blessed through this ministry. My name is Donna Jennings. I am literally introducing the seminar this morning. Um, we have done a little bit of work with Tear Fund, um, especially looking around creation care. Um, Evangelical Alliance has been doing surveys through them, with them. Um, there's so much shared interest that we have. They have so much wisdom to speak into the Western church in this space. Um, there is so much that the Western church has to learn from the global church. <laughs> and there's a space here where we get to sit and posture ourselves and listen to voices that are speaking and bringing wisdom from across the world as the global body of Christ. Uh, and so I am so delighted to just introduce this seminar uh, and to hand over to Glenn and to Lauren, who are going to lead it um, and facilitate. Bless you. Amazing. Thanks so much. Uh, so my name is Chris, not Glenn. Glenn is the, uh, <laughs> Glenn's the NI director. He just likes his photo on the screen. Uh, and so we just give him that, and then we come and do the hard work. Uh, no, Glenn can't make it, so my job is just to introduce Lauren, who is our expert in all things um, creation, care, and climate finance in the church, and so she's going to take the bulk of this. But I just want to introduce Tear Fund to you. Uh, just give me a show of hands if you are familiar to some degree with the work of Tear Fund over a long time. Okay, most of us. So just a very flying introduction then. Uh, Tear Fund is a Christian international development agency. We're committed to go where the need is greatest and to follow Jesus to those places. And so we work in 50 or so of the world's most challenging environments. Uh, we're in places like Afghanistan, places like Mali, uh, Central African Republic, DRC, South, South America, and more recently in and around Ukraine as well. Um, our work has three, I guess, three main areas. The first thing is long-term sustainable development that sees people both lifted out but also lift themselves out of poverty in a way that lasts, in a way that changes and transforms whole communities and families over generations. The vast majority of that is done in partnership with the local church. We're big believers that the church is God's chosen vessel for transformation in communities. The local church knows far better than, than we do coming from over here or anywhere else what the needs of the community are and they're passionate about seeing those needs met in the name of Jesus Christ. And so that's why uh, almost always, almost all places we partner with the local church and with Christian agencies on the ground. So long-term sustainable development that sees people lifted out and lift themselves out of poverty. Um, <clears throat> emergency and disaster relief. So that's maybe what Tear Fund most often comes on people's radar for. Um, Ukraine appeal, Afghanistan appeal, there's a volcano, there's an earthquake, there's a flood and people are in desperate need. And Tear Fund's partners are already there and we respond with them, and then when the emergency is over, Tear Fund's partners are still there. And so that's often where there's a big mobilization of giving, and there is a response to meet emergency needs um, on the ground. And again, church partners are key to that. The third thing then is advocacy and campaigning. So we want to speak up for those who, who don't have a voice at the table and campaign against systems and structures and policies that are unjust and that make poverty uh, either harder to escape for people or actually push people further into poverty. And um, that gets us a little bit political at times because we're called to be political, we're called to be involved and active in, in calling out things that we feel add to injustice or make uh, it harder for people to escape poverty. And that's where my colleague comes in. So my role is overseeing our church partnerships here in Northern Ireland, and Lauren's role is overseeing our advocacy work and our campaigns work, and that's why she's in charge of all of this. So Lauren, let me just say a quick prayer if that's okay. 
and then I'll hand over to, uh, to Lauren. Lord, we, we thank you for the amazing privilege of being part of the church. And as Donna said, that is a global thing, and we are, um, we're united together in you, Lord Jesus. Uh, for this next short time, bless us with clarity, bless us with your spirit, uh, bless Lauren as she leads us. And Lord, if something here makes us uncomfortable in the sense that it pulls on something new for us, calls us to some kind of action, then Holy Spirit, we pray that might, you, might, um, you might follow that up, Lord Jesus, with a call to action in our lives. Amen. Lauren. Amen. Thank you so much, Chris, and Donna, for introducing me this morning. It's so great to be with you. We are going to talk all things creation care, climate, and the role of the church. And before I jump in, I just wanted to ask a question of you guys. And I know there's only a few of you here, and we're all a bit spread out, but do jump in if you have any thoughts. I wondered, in your churches, in your communities um, that you are a part of, what have you heard about the climate emergency or climate change in your communities? And has, would anyone want to jump in? And the answer can be nothing, if that is the, if that is the answer. What would you say? I've got a nod over here in the corner. Okay, nothing. Yep. That is the story for a lot of the people that I've spoken to. Yeah, no problem. Anyone else? Yeah. Brilliant, thank you. Okay, great. So for everyone who couldn't hear that, um, the gentleman was just mentioning that their church would include the climate emergency in their prayers of intercession. And that is a brilliant thing for us to do, to bring our prayers and petitions before God and asking him to intervene in this great world that he has made. That's so good. Thank you so much for that. It's helpful for me to get a bit of an indication of, of maybe where some of your churches are at or some of the conversations that you have had on this issue. So we're going to jump in today. I'm going to start off in a great place. We're going to start with the Bible and we're going to start with the theological foundations for why this is such an important issue to God. And we'll move on. We'll hear from some of our partners around the world and then we will end really with trying to get practical. So what do we do next? And what is the role of the church in all of this? So just to begin then with the theology, I'm going to attempt to give a really quick overview of the theological underpinnings of climate action. So I'm just going to run through the whole Bible with you. So I hope no one has, no one has anywhere to be this afternoon. Um, but I'm just going to do a whistle-stop tour of the biblical story of creation and climate. So author Pete Hughes, in his book, All Things New, tells us that the story we live in is the story that we live out. And by this, he means that the stories that surround us subtly shape us. They begin to form our longings, our hopes, how we see the world, and crucially, how we then engage with that world. And in his book, Pete asks the question, what happens when we as people of God live in a biblical worldview with our hearts and longings shaped by the person of Jesus and the story of God. And his answer to this question is that they then become kingdom builders and God's agents of healing and restoration. The grand narrative of the story of God, the whole of the storytelling arc of the scriptures, right from the pages of Genesis 1 through to Revelation 22, is a story of creation, brokenness, salvation, and then restoration. And we really believe at Tear Fund that care for creation is woven right into the very heart of this narrative. 
We read in Genesis 1 that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And after this grand poem of the creation story, we see that God looked over all that he had made and saw that it was very good. God created and then declared it was very good. And I don't know about you, but it's easy to believe this when we live in such a beautiful place. Even driving up to the coast this morning, I was reminded again how incredible our God's creation really is. But yet, I think this phrase is something we maybe miss the magnitude of in its simplicity. The Hebrew phrase used here for very good is tov me'od, which means so much more than the thing itself being considered very good. Whether that's a tree, a lion, a eucalyptus bush, or a person, The Tov Ma'od refers to the relationships and the ties between all things being declared very good. So in the Hebrew conception of the world, when they would have heard this, all of creation is connected. And the well-being of the whole depends on the well-being of each individual element. So the original hearers of this scripture would have understood that word Tov to refer to the goodness of the ties and relationships between all things in creation. It meant harmony, balance, peace, and God's shalom. And where then do we come into this web of relationships as humans? We see from the Genesis narrative that we were not created separately from the natural world, but directly from its dust. We read in Genesis 2 that God creates an earth creature, and the word here for Adam, who we know as as a named individual, is not just a name, but it actually is an origin story to our very beginning. In Hebrew, the Adam literally means that which comes from the earth. And the earth then in the Hebrew is the Adamah. We were directly created from the dust of this world. We were not created separate from it, and God considers it all to be very good. In Genesis 1.26, we read the miraculous truth that these earth creatures, as we all are created from the dust and living within it, are created in God's very own likeness. A reflection of the community and divinity of the Trinity. What an incredible truth that we as humans represent God's very nature to the whole world. A nature which we know is fundamentally communal, it's relational, and where all of these relationships are in balance, and that all of them are characterized by this word, tov ode, very good. What a beautiful story of scripture, one we're so familiar with about the origins of our world, but one I think that we maybe need to spend a little bit more time in to really let the, the truth of it sink into our souls. But we know um, just a few chapters after these first verses that this very goodness was broken. And Genesis 3 shows us that the fall has led to four broken relationships. At Tearfund, we believe that poverty and injustice are a consequence of these four broken relationships. And that is the relationship between God and his people, between people and themselves, people and each other, and finally people in and the natural world. The fall, sin, and brokenness is a consequence of all of these broken relationships, and they are a consequence of sin itself. But we know the good news this morning that Jesus came to restore all of these broken relationships. 
I don't know about you, but growing up, and even until very recently, I did not hear about all four of these. I certainly didn't hear about the broken relationship between myself and the natural world being a consequence of the fall and then being a core tenet of my salvation. That is was very new to me until quite recently, and I understand if that is new to many of you this morning. And we need to ask ourselves the question, why is that the relationship that always gets left out of the narrative? If we believe that Jesus came to reverse the curse of sin and death, to restore all that was broken in our world, then the restoration of all four of these broken relationships is central to the mission of Jesus. The beautiful words in Colossians 1, 19 to 20 tell us that God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. I don't know about you, I don't know how many times you've read this verse and implicitly read all things as all people. But that is not what the scripture tells us. We know that Jesus came to reconcile all things to himself. And that includes every person, every creature, molecule, atom and organism through his death. And we know, praise God, that he is returning to bring this all to its final completion. So therefore, for us at Tear Fund, care for creation is not a side issue to the gospel, but it is central and inherently woven into the narrative of scripture. Remember that, as we said at the beginning, the story we live in is the story we then live out of. We have inherited some pretty dodgy theologies, I think, that have told us that this material world that we live in is inherently evil, that it is full of sin and brokenness and destruction. And therefore, it's something which is inferior to the spiritual world, maybe the loftier things like worship and prayer, the prophetic, the Bible, all of these great, incredible gifts of our salvation, but which we experience right here on this earth with our feet firmly planted in the dust. We cannot divorce or, di or separate ourselves from it. And I don't know for you, I certainly in my growing up and my background, some of those subtle um, little ways that tell us that this world is, is just inherently inferior, they definitely have sort of crept their way into my, um, into my mind and into my conception of God. If um, we believe this, this idea that the world itself is inferior, tainted and temporary, and something that we therefore need to escape from one day, I think is a fundamental misreading of the story of God. Because we see that in this story, from the very beginning, the creation narrative shows us that matter matters to God, as we've just read in Genesis 1. And then when we look right towards the end, we see the story of salvation as one in which the earth itself is redeemed, restored, and renewed. Our eschatology, so what we believe about the end times and what will happen at the end of the world, I believe profoundly impacts how we live on the earth in the here and now. So if we live in and spend time in a story that tells us that our physical world is inherently evil and sinful, one day going to be burned up, <laughs> of course, or therefore our response out of that will not be one necessarily of love or tending, protection or servitude to the natural world, but rather it will be one of apathy, probably at best, or exploitation at worst. 
we see the consequences of this exploitative relationship with creation all around us. We see a spirit of never enoughness that has pillaged the natural world for its riches and resources, which has led to the current crisis humanity finds itself in now in a climate and ecological emergency. But there is hope because we believe in a God that is creating a new heaven and a new earth. And incredibly, we have a role to play in this redemption. Revelation 21 verse 1 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and old earth had also disappeared. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, and the one on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. Now, the word new here can sometimes cause some issues. If God is going to totally undo and remake the world, then why try to save it? Why partner with God in tending and caring for it? But helpfully, I think we need to remember that the one on the throne is making all things new, not necessarily making a new thing. We know that God is reversing the curse of sin and death and in a renewed world, restoring us back to Eden, to those beautiful words of Genesis 1 that we read at the start. And that then the Tov Ode that we talked about at the start, where the relationships between all things and creation are inherently good and overflowing with abundance. That is the mission of God and what the end of our story looks like. But even if you disagree with me, which you are welcome to, which people do, and I think is really important for us as Jesus followers to disagree with each other really well. We can love each other and disagree. So even if you disagree with this kind of position, the undisputed reality of the climate crisis is that it is profoundly impacting people living in poverty right now. In our work all around the world, we are seeing the effects of this. We're seeing floods and droughts becoming more destructive, destroying people's homes and communities. We're seeing droughts becoming more severe, meaning that crops are dying and more people are going hungry. There is a real human cost to this crisis. And our gospel mandate to do justice while we are on this earth could not be any clearer. As Amos tells us, we are called to act, do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. Now, I know that the effects of the climate crisis can be really hard to get, wrap our heads around, can be hard to visualize, can be hard to, to connect our story to that story. So to help us out, I am going to introduce you to our friend Edzai from Zimbabwe. My name is Itzai Morimba. I am the Deputy Country Director for TFN in Zimbabwe. Food insecurity is a big issue we are dealing with and we are probably going to see a lot more if the climate crisis is not, um, is not addressed. Um, secondly, as a result of the food insecurity, we see cases, quite a lot of cases of malnutrition and in some cases deaths are due to hunger. Uh, malnutrition in the sense that, you know, families might end up with just maize, but then they don't have, you know, a variety um, they then um, are stuck with just a few uh, grains and they can't then have other things to sort of support so that they've got a, a nutritional balanced diet the number of child marriages increase in years of droughts where families think marrying off our daughter is better because we get um, something from the family that's taking the daughter or it's one less one less person to feed um, we see how you know there's quite a lot of gender-based violence where husbands spouses 
families are fighting because of hunger in the family, you know, as a result of the unhappiness or, you know, that's caused because of no food at, at household level. So definitely without any major interventions, we'll probably see quite a lot of um, that. Child marriages as well as domestic violence are linked to food insecurity issues. Compromise access to clean water as well. Um, so most communities have um, wells, you know, some even at household level, but then because, you know, sometimes they dry up, they have to walk further and further. And sometimes because the water points or the access to water is limited, they just use what's there without even testing on the quality. And in the end, they access water that is not really suitable for human consumption. Um, so some children are at home because they're hungry, they can't get money for school fees, because the family doesn't have enough food, they can't sell enough to raise money for school fees. So definitely uh, we see how generations can then be affected. If they can't go to school, we'll have a generation of semi-illiterate children. Um, so yeah, definitely I think there is enough justification and cause for global um, efforts to just um, address climate change because the impacts I think are really major and cause quite a lot of negative um, um, impacts to households and communities um, in Zimbabwe. I don't know about you, but when I first um, heard this video from our friend Adzai, it really struck a chord with me. I had never connected the sort of social ramifications of climate change, even down to the family level of marriages, children, relationships, increasing gender-based violence. All of these fragilities and these risks are all heightened um, by the climate crisis. So at Tear Fund, we really believe that this level of injustice necessitates a response. But the question is, what does this look like? So before we get a little bit practical, I just want to do a quick exercise with you. I'd like you to close your eyes if you would indulge me for a second. Picture a place in your mind where you have met with God. This could be a place that is local to you it could be somewhere where you have experienced the majesty of creation, or it could be your local coffee shop, but somewhere where God has captured your mind and your heart and your attention. Now in your mind's eye, zoom out a little bit and maybe imagine the wider context of this place. Maybe the different organizations or, or businesses or, that are around it, maybe some of the regional um, context. Maybe zoom out a little further. Can you see it sort of at a national level and then maybe even globally? Imagine for a second, if you can, some of the connections between this place in your mind and others. You can open your eyes if you haven't already. But our world has always been interconnected. Once this was in a way that was fundamentally good, as we read from the beginning, remember Tov, my ode, where all of these relationships were good and whole. But arguably our world has become more connected than ever before and no longer in a way that mirrors the shalom of God. We really do live in a truly globalized world and that particular place where you meant to, went to in your mind, whether you could think of some of the connections or not, it is intricately connected to the whole world around us. Whether that is through the movement of people, movement of goods, services, it could be financial flows, ideas, trade, nature, the very environment that we share together. The idea of what this particular place is 
can never really be taken away from all of the global connections that are forming it. There's a famous geographer, I have to get my degree in there somewhere, <laughs> always useful for me much, but Doreen Massey um, is a famous geographer and she's called this idea the, a global sense of place. Now our clothes are one of the most tangible examples of our interconnection with distant parts of this world. If anyone has a label in a sort of way they can actually see without um, revealing themselves, maybe shout out what is on it. Has anybody got any? India, okay, any more? China? Taiwan, yep. India, okay. So yeah, they're one of the most tangible examples of the things that we, we clothe ourselves with, being touched by the hands of someone else, somewhere else who has made them. Another example is our food, as well as the amazing produce we have from our own shores in Northern Ireland. We're also connected to other people and our environment through our food, through maybe avocados from Mexico or coffee from Ethiopia or bananas from the Philippines. Now, we could do a whole seminar surrounding the ethics of these, pro of these products, which is not my intention here, but my point is simply to highlight and make really clear to us that we are all connected. Yes, we are connected as a global body of believers, of people who believe that human beings are made in the image and dignity of God, but we are also very tangibly connected to these global systems just through our own living and breathing and being in a place. We are connected and we have a choice. We can participate in these systems in a way that brings life or in a way that tears down. So while it might not be as visible to us, something that we're clothing our bodies with or feeding ourselves with, there's nothing that demonstrates quite how connected our world is more than the impacts of climate change. Carbon emissions and global warming do not respect national borders and they have historically been generated by wealthy nations and disproportionately affect those living in poverty. We know that the poorest 3.5 billion people are responsible for just 10% of global emissions. But these same people are already facing the worst effects of climate change. In 2016, world hunger levels increased for the first time in over a decade after a golden age of development. And this trend has continued to increase every year because of climate change and because of conflict. Our reliance on fossil fuels is pushing our global neighbours deeper into poverty. And without urgent global action to address this, many more lives will be lost, communities destroyed, and estimates of 132 million people more could end up living in extreme poverty by the year 2030, which is really not that far away. This really is an undeniable justice issue. As believers, we know we are called to love our neighbor, but what does this look like when we think of this global sense of place and these global systems that we are all participating in and connected to? And at Tierfan, we believe it really practically means loving our global neighbors who are often much more connected to us than we think. And we believe this is part of our whole life response to the reality of the gospel. So turn into the practical then, how can we respond? At Tier Fund, we really believe that we have a role to play in responding to poverty and injustice with our whole lives, as well as giving of our finances um, and praying for an end to poverty and injustice. We can also act with our lives. We can use our whole bodies and selves to partner with God in bringing his kingdom.
At the start of Romans 12, Paul writes, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. We can act with our bodies by making changes in our own lives and communities. We can embody the kingdom and the change we want to see in the world. And we can use our God-given voice to prophetically speak out for justice. In my own journey on all of this, um, I don't know if this resonates with many of you, but I had such a deep and burning desire to travel abroad, to do mission work, to my naive sense thought I could end extreme poverty all by myself. God has convicted and humbled my heart on that. But I did used to think that the only way that I could engage in justice was to go somewhere else and do something important. But God has really challenged my heart on this over the last number of years. I'm brought to the fore, I think, the role that my everyday choices and decisions have in bringing the kingdom on the earth right here, right now. Whether that is the food I buy, the clothes I wear, the energy I use, or the way that I travel. And this journey has really challenged my own ideas about consumption, and I do believe enabled me to offer up more of my life as a living sacrifice to the one who made me. We have already heard these words powerfully this morning. Um, in Romans 12, Paul goes on to urge us not to conform to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed. And I guess my question to us this morning is this idea of tackling climate change with, with our lives and doing justice, is this an idea where maybe we have conformed or we haven't questioned the patterns of this world? I find that I have to be very intentional to resist the cultural pressure of trying to work endlessly to achieve more, to acquire more and, and be more in this world. It feels so normal, it is the water that we swim in, this culture of materialism and consumption. And our culture tells us this lie that we are only worth what we have. But God does not want us to conform, he wants to transform us. And I really believe that this is a heart issue as we're talking this morning about renewed minds. That is where this transformation happens and starts, it's in our hearts, it's in our minds. So many of the consequences of our broken world can be traced right back to the greed of the human heart and its insatiable desire for more. More money, more power, more stuff. And we can see the consequences of this has just led to more discontent, more inequality, more injustice and more degradation of our natural world. But as people of God, our mandate is to live freely and lightly to prioritize simplicity and practice contentment in every circumstance. What a gift that our hearts can be free from this compounding pressure of consumerism and the rat race of modern living. So within all of this, what role does the church then have to play in this context? As churches, as Chris already mentioned this morning, we really do believe that the church is God's vessel for transformation on the earth. God's transformation begins in our own hearts and seeps into everything that we do. So are we open to God's transformation in this area as a church? And what might God be shining a light on in your hearts or your own communities this morning? It's another area like so many other parts of our discipleship where I don't believe God is asking for perfection from us, but just for us to take the next step and be open to his leading. 
And I really believe that this journey into caring for our creation, our natural world, can bring us even more into freedom as we let God into every single detail of our lives. And I want to encourage you this morning to lead in, lean in and let God transform you. Being on this journey of learning to love and value creation and doing justice with your lives is joining God on his mission of restoration and it is part of building the kingdom here on the earth. A kingdom where all are able to flourish, including God's whole creation. And I think it is the, one of the best ways that we can model Jesus and his mission to our world in these days. So how can we then change the culture in our churches so that this is a normal part of our worship and discipleship? So it overflows as a part of our transformed hearts and minds. And I suppose practically, if you haven't already, my very first encouragement to you would be to start talking about it. That is a really amazing first step. And you have no idea who around you is having exactly the same questions, exactly the same journey. And getting around a group of people who are passionate about, about this issue um, can really lead to amazing changes. So open up the conversation, talk about it, find out what others are thinking, what they're doing, and share stories of how, how you're feeling challenged by God in your own lives and what God is saying to you about it. At Tier Fund, we really want to see churches in Northern Ireland leading the way on climate, being people and institutions who stand up and say that our current systems do not protect this incredible world made by our creator God. We long to see the church speak out and take its place in shaping culture, society and economic systems in a way that ushers in the kingdom of God. And we have the privilege of being able to see little shoots of this already happening. Churches all across Northern Ireland and the rest of the UK taking creation care seriously and embedding it into their life as congregations and as part of their own worship. For some, this is small ways and small steps on a journey. For some, we've seen take massive steps. Some have started eco-groups. Um, some have used tier fund resources like our Christianity and Climate Change series um, to have small group discussions and Bible studies and prayer time about this issue. Some have worked through our Climate Emergency Toolkit, which has a wealth of resources that would take you on a journey as a community, right from planning and preparation, right through to making a definitive climate action plan. We've seen churches start community gardens to address climate change while also being a light and welcome for their own community who are experiencing poverty and food insecurity. We've seen churches reconsider their energy use, replace disposable cups with renewables, plant trees and even wild gardens. We've also seen churches start to use their voice and advocate and speak out for change. And as Tear Fund, our heart uh, here in my role particularly is to help and encourage, resource and equip you in all of these endeavours. So please do come and speak to me at the end. Let me know if there's anything else we can do to help you. But we are, really just want to resource um, churches and Christians to respond to this crisis in a way that is an overflow of worship to the Creator. And one area I want to draw your attention to as we draw things to a close. I think I can do this here there we go, <laughs> is this idea of advocating on behalf of others, using your voice to speak out for change. For some, maybe this seems like quite a radical thing, but what I want to draw our attention to today is that it comes straight from the pages of Scripture. Proverbs 31, 8-9 gives us this mandate. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. 
speak up and judge fairly, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. So one way that you can use your voice to stand with the most vulnerable today is by joining with our current campaign, which is called Time to Deliver. And you'll see there's leaflets on your chair. Maybe if you're a little bit further back, you might not have a leaflet, but you can grab it um, at the end. So back in 2009, wealthier countries pledged $100 billion a year from 2020 to help climate vulnerable communities adapt to the devastating impact of the climate crisis and invest in a sustainable future but they are yet to deliver on their promises. This means that frontline communities are having to divert money away from essential public services, such as healthcare and education, to protect themselves from the effects of a crisis they did not cause. There's new tier fund research that was just released recently that shows that some African nations could face climate adaptation costs that are up to five times higher than their current healthcare budgets. So the very people who are the most vulnerable to climate change, who did the least to cause it, are now having to spend more on adapting to its effects than actually their health and education. And this, we believe, is a huge injustice that must be addressed. So while they're waiting for this promised finance, these communities are doing what they can to develop creative solutions. But this innovation needs investment, and we really believe it is time to deliver what has been promised. The UK government holds something called the COP presidency until November 2022, and then it will hand on the baton to Egypt in 20, COP27. I don't know if you guys remember back to COP26, which happened in Glasgow um, in November last year. And really, we saw um, as Tear Fund a huge number of churches and supporters all across the UK start to speak up, raise their voices and join with other churches and other supporters to call for global action on climate change as a result of their faith. And we want to keep that momentum going just because it's happening somewhere in a little bit more distant does not mean that our voice is any less silent. And this year, until November, UK, particularly campaigners, have a really special moment of opportunity as the UK holds this presidency, so this really influential role of setting the agenda until COP27 in November. So you'll have the petition on your, on your chairs. We can sign that at the end. There's also a, a QR code here if you want to sign and add your name to make sure that your voice is heard. But we're going to just watch a quick video about the campaign and then I will wrap us up and give time for questions. For millions of people across the world, the changing climate means empty stomachs, lost livelihoods and homes swept away. It's time for world leaders to deliver on their promises to address this. My name is Promi Salau. I work with Tier 4 Nigeria. In the northern parts, we're experiencing drought, we're experiencing heat waves. Many, many farmers are unable to farm anymore, leading to increase in poverty. In the south-south, we're experiencing rainfalls, flooding. People are losing livelihoods and their homes. And this makes me feel very, very sad. And as extreme weather events increase, many nations are being forced to divert money away from essential public services, such as healthcare and schooling, to protect themselves against the impacts of the climate crisis, a crisis they didn't cause. This is a huge injustice. Back in 2009, wealthier nations promised to provide $100 billion a year from 2020 to help communities adapt to the impacts of climate change. But this promise has still not been met. During the climate summit in Glasgow, we had hoped that the $100 billion um, promised by wealthy countries in 2009 would be fulfilled. 
Unfortunately, this was not done. Unless the financial burden is lifted by the commitment of these wealthy countries, countries like Nigeria will continue to suffer the consequences. While they wait for the money that's been promised, communities that are bearing the brunt of the climate crisis are doing all they can, from solar powered wells to sustainable farming practices, to adapt and to address the impacts of the crisis. And Seth Yashingado, I've worked in over 70 agrarian communities in North Central Nigeria, and they have been affected by the impact of climate change. You see that a lot in land degradation, you also see that in droughts, which, are, which is known in the north, northern part of the country, but it's creeping in gradually the central part of Nigeria. We've tried to make farmers embrace climate smart agriculture to solve this food insecurity problem in the country and also save lives and livelihoods. So much more needs to be done across Nigeria and in Africa as a whole. Climate vulnerable nations like Nigeria need investments so they can innovate and adapt to the impacts of the climate crisis. This year, the UK government has said it will use its position as COP president until November to influence wealthy nations to deliver the money they promised and to ensure it reaches the communities that need it. Together, let's call on the UK government to deliver on its promises. Will you join us? Will you join us? Will you join us? Will you join us? Add your voice to our petition today. Okay, great. So I really would encourage you, if you feel stirred to respond, to fill in the petition. There's a little yellow bucket to the side. If you don't have a pen, we have pens. We can do that afterwards. Fill in your details and we will ensure that your voice is heard to the future UK Prime Minister, whoever that might be. We'll find out on the 5th of September and we'll ensure that they hear your voice. So just to bring us to a close. I know that the climate crisis can seem big and overwhelming, but we are not on our own in this. We have direct access to the creator who is restoring and renewing all things and inviting us to join him in that work. So spending time with him, listening to what he is saying, sharing how we are feeling and bringing this issue before God is such a key way that we can respond. For me, as I approach this issue, it's just about asking the question, what can be changed, small and big, to make the world more like the kingdom of God? A kingdom where all are able to flourish, including God's whole creation. So by praying for God's kingdom to come, using our finances to further the kingdom, and then God asking God, what can I do to help make that happen? How can I use my voice, my influence, and my everyday choices to usher God's kingdom in here and now? And my prayer for all of us is that we live in and live out of this beautiful story of God, a story of a very good world which was broken, but has been restored and is being restored, renewed, and redeemed. Amen. Thank you all so much. Um, we have time for questions. So if anyone has anything they would like to ask myself or Chris, even if it's more generally about the work of Tear Fund, please do. If you throw your hands up, I will maybe come around with the mic or you can maybe just shout out if people are feeling confident. Uh, I've got a vicar who doesn't see climate change as a big priority for the church. And I don't really know. I think that's at least in part because I think he's, he sees it as potentially an exaggerated problem. Um, so I just wanted to know if you can give any advice as to how to deal with, with situations like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I get asked this question all the time. Um, I have people who disagree with, with this um, chatting to me. And it's been really interesting, I think, to have the dialogue and the conversation. 
first thing I would recommend would be to try and have a dialogue and a conversation. I think when we sit down across the table, across a coffee with someone and we try and really understand why they feel that way, um, starts it off with empathy, with breaking down those barriers and then we can hopefully get an opportunity to share why it's important to you. Um, I think that different things resonate for different people. For some people, it is the theological barrier of this doesn't seem central to salvation. And I have been really convicted and encouraged just by some of the amazing resources out there that show this is really central to our faith. Um, being part of the five marks of mission, I know we mentioned that earlier. I don't know what exactly the background is, but that is so central to our mission as, as believers and is more and more being incorporated into that kind of mainstream theology. Um, there are some really great papers I can recommend and I can send to you if, if that is the way that might persuade. But I think for me, something that I have found the most compelling or the thing that seems to change people's minds is the reality that even if, and I think I said that in my, my talk, even if you disagree with the theology on this being central to salvation, the climate crisis is impacting people living in poverty here and now. And I think telling these stories is really powerful and really impactful when you see the reality of this crisis, when you see how it's impacting people living in poverty, normally, especially for people who, you know, they're loved, but they love people, they're loved by God, they want to see God's kingdom come, when they see that the threat of what the crisis is doing for people living in poverty who are the most vulnerable, that for me has been something that I've really seen change hearts and minds. Any others? My answer is awkward. In society, what is the true answer to this? Since from my perspective, we live in a society where a lot of the renewables that they are encouraging at the moment, I think, are doing more damage than helping. For example, at the moment in the Republic, they want to reduce the cattle herd by 25%, but while in Brazil, they are replacing for every cattle lost in Ireland with four in Brazil and cutting down the rainforest that we need for our environment. Our seas are polluted with plastics, but we're continually using them, for example, in our washing detergents. And they're encouraging us to have electric cars where the development and making of the batteries are structurally flawed at the moment. While if we encourage people to rather to uh, use consumerism of buying and replacing their vehicle for keeping it on the road for a lot longer time is more environmentally friendly. Since Volvo has announced that for their electric vehicle to become carbon neutral, it has to do over 90,000 miles. Oh, sorry. <laughs> While I believe climate change is important, I think the biggest problem that we have in society is consumerism, not necessarily the way we do things. So is there a fundamental answer? Like for example, most people here will use disposable cups rather than the reusable cup. While 25, 30 years ago, we got our milk and glass bottles, while now it's disposable items. Most of our clothes we get in the likes of Primark or Pennies, and they're disposable. One of the biggest problems in society from clothes is the waste of clothes. Do we have any answers for them? I knew he was going to give me a hard time. Um, 
I've got an easy response is that I agree with you completely. And I think that that is something that I feel strongly, that Tearfund feels strongly. And I think that I'd mentioned that the human heart is at the root of all of this, right? The consumerism, the greed, the desire for more and more and more. And I think this is where the church has such a unique role because we're not businesses. We're not the, well, sometimes we are, but we're not the, the business sector. We're not the environment sector. We're not this, that, and the other. We're marked by and driven by and united by our love for Jesus and other people. So a lot of those other solutions can be greenwashing. There's lots of complications around that. But ultimately, a lot of those things are replacing one bad thing with a slightly worse, a slightly better thing, but could end up being very complicated. And I think that what we can do as people of God is start by fundamentally trying to deal with the issue of consumerism and materialism in our own hearts and communities, and that that then naturally will resound and respond with a love for creation and for people. And I think that you're right that going, if we go back to the wisdom of previous generations and those items like disposable cups and our fashion all of these things were considered a lot more weighty and a lot more precious as resources and we took the time to tend to them to care for them to ensure that they lived longer to repair our clothes and all of those things and I think then what we can do as the church is lead the way in saying let's look back to that wisdom how can we honor and care for our natural world and the people who produce these things by small little revolutionary acts like mending your clothes or buying a disposable cup. I am not sitting up here telling you that I know the global solution right now or how to legislate all of this. But I do really believe that the church is God's vessel for transformation on the earth. And people notice when we live differently. So I think that some of the things that you mentioned can be such powerful markers to society and to decision makers that we are actually willing to change our lives and livelihoods. And you need to listen to us. So yes, I am going to bring my disposable cup. And I might not, I might reconsider how I shop or I might repair my clothes or swap my clothes or I might look at the food that I buy and where it comes from and how we can support local produce that has less food miles, all of these things. There's so much wisdom in what has gone before us. And I think we need to look back to that. And I think you bring a really, really important point. And I think the church can lead the way and be the head and not the tail in this by changing our hearts and minds. It's very hard to convince a lot of people now about climate change. Uh, and it was only last or two weeks ago when we had temperatures of 40 in, in London that people began to realize that climate change can affect how we live and I had relatives from the south of England visiting last week, and they were amazed that we had green grass here, and their lawns were absolutely brown. Uh, I worked in Nigeria for a period, and we heard there on one of your presentations that in the middle of Nigeria, that used to be grassland where there was plenty of room for animals to be fed. Now there is not enough for the the herders who look after the animals, and they are causing trouble and killing local people. And we tend to think in the church that it's because of the Muslims not liking the Christians in the middle of Nigeria. But in fact, climate change is one of the factors uh, for the murder and the killings that are going on there. I've also been in East Africa and in the Horn of Africa at the moment, half the people are living on one meal every other day. Uh, and again, that's because of climate change. For four years, there's been no water, so the cattle have all died. So uh, we, we complain about the number of people coming into Britain at the moment, 
because of folks moving from Africa and Middle East. But climate change is one of the major factors and we're going to have more and more people coming from these areas. And we don't talk about it in church at all. We, we, we pray for the Muslims, we pray for uh, the others, but we don't realize that climate change is a major factor in the changing social structures uh, of our day. Absolutely, thank you for that. I think that's so important to remind ourselves and we see that time and time again in our work that climate change is a threat multiplier. So where there are social economic problems already existing, climate change exacerbates and it continues to amplify those threats. And I think the fact that it is not unusual that this is not talked about in many churches and I think that we can be the catalysts for change. And I long to see the churches take this issue seriously to think, reflect, pray, act, Small, in small ways, in big ways, and I think that yeah, I'm. I think that God is going to use that to dramatically change the the course of our world and lives. I hope and pray. And I think part of what you're saying as well is being aware that a really important first step is also being aware of our own connection to all of these things. And I think that's what I was trying to do and draw our attention to as well. These things are not just happening in a way that is completely divorced and separated from our own lives, but we are all intertwined within this. So I think it can be it can be easy to be overwhelmed by the scale of a crisis like this, but do not underestimate the power of individual acts of of small changes as a, individuals and as communities. And I I think in my journey I used to be overwhelmed to the point of inaction, and I feel like God really challenged my heart. And I remember praying one day and Him saying to me, and I think you know Lauren, you don't not pray for revival just because you don't see the answer right then and there. You keep praying and we do that as our churches, don't we? We pray for God's kingdom to come. We pray for revival just because we're maybe not seeing the action that corresponds to our small individual little ways that we are resisting this narrative does not mean that it's not part of our spiritual discipline and worship to keep doing that. So I just encourage you, I think it's probably going to draw to a close now. So I think just encourage you to, if you believe this if you are passionate about this to get around other people and to be those vessels of transformation in your own lives and own churches and do not underestimate the spiritual significance of small acts of resistance against the world and that that actually transforms our hearts and makes us more into the person of Jesus so I think I will close us there and we have a QR code here if you scan it with your phone it will bring up a load of other tier fund information resources things we have going on um, not just climatey, but other focused things. And if there's anything you want to talk to us about, Chris and I are available um, at the front. Do encourage you to grab a petition if you haven't already. It's just one small little revolutionary act that you ne don't know the spiritual significance of or the material significance of what can come. So do fill that in. If you need a pen, they're up here and I have the bucket here to, to put them into at the end. Um, but thank you. Thank you so much for coming along and bless you. Thank you for listening to this talk. If you would like to know more about New Horizon, please visit our website at newhorizon.org.uk.